Okay, so the overgeneralization there is that I always mess up, mm-hmm. and a lot of people do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was with a client the other day that said I I I never accomplished anything. So my first step there is for the client, I say, no, you've never accomplished anything. So we start digging into that. Mm-hmm. And then she starts to say, well, I, I, you know, I did finish this. And I said, well, did you, did you graduate high school? No, but I finished my GED. So you accomplished a GED. And so we start putting those pieces together, mm-hmm. see, because that overgeneralization is inaccurate. Right. Okay. So I want more realistic statements because saying that you never accomplished anything isn't realistic. Right. Back to the disc golf course. To say that I always mess up, I mess up a lot, but we don't have to get into that. But to say that I never have a good shot is basically what I'm saying in essence isn't true. Right. It, that, that's not accurate. Right. So if I were to say, man, I mess up a lot or I'm a lot more than what I used, what I would like to, then that's more realistic. Right. Okay. So what we're doing here, this internal dialogue actually guides our lives. It, it dictates our behavior. That's why we've got to be careful about how we talk to ourselves, mm-hmm. about how we treat ourselves. And the hard part is recognizing when we're doing it. The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Hey, thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to remind you all to check out truenutrition.com for all of your nutrition and supplement needs, including protein powders that you can customize to your preference, whole food vitamins, supplements for energy and endurance, and the list goes on. When you get finished shopping and you go to check out, be sure to use the code CEPN for a 5% discount on your total order. Also want to remind you all to do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your podcast, including YouTube for video content so that you can keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. Now for this episode, Colt and I bring a cerebral chat that we titled Internal Dialogue. During this episode, we questioned whether we eat roosters. We explored the concept of risk versus reward. We dissect our ideas regarding thoughts and how they correlate with the concept of free will. And while on that topic, we reference Sam Harris and the Making Sense podcast. And then we continue into a deep dive on the topic of internal dialogue and how it affects the person who possesses the thoughts and much more. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours warm again. So without further introduction, here we go. We're back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me as always is my good friend Colt. Yes, sir. How are you doing today, sir? (coughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. Kind of. We're podcasting on a beautiful Sunday. I know. Now, normally I don't complain when we're podcasting. Yeah. But it's a beautiful Sunday outside. Yes. It could be like playing disc golf or just sitting outside, really. Enjoying nature at its finest today. That's actually what I did. As soon as I got up this morning, I woke up to a Marco Polo message. Yeah. From a buddy of ours, okay. Mr. Joe Burrow. So uh, I went outside and sat on my, my patio with the birds chirping and the freaking rooster crowing from the neighbor. That thing's going to find a new home yeah. at some point. Yeah. You know, if you want to if you want to do your rooster thing at like 6 a.m., that's fine. At 4 p.m., we don't need to hear you. Yeah. Just chill out, man. I hear you. Even at 6 a.m. on the wrong day, it's probably not a good idea. Right. You know, you catch me in a... In a bad morning. Mm-hmm. But here's a question. This might seem silly. It, it might be silly, but do we eat rooster? Is that like when we get chicken, is that also rooster that we eat? Mm, I don't know. Okay. 
I mean, is that a legit question? It, I don't, it I is don't know. because I don't either. I, I've never thought about it. It just occurred to me because I thought Dude. when you said to find that rooster a new home, I thought, well, we'll find its home on a dinner plate. I mean, I feel like people have to eat rooster, right? But do you consider a rooster a chicken? Well, I mean, it's a male chicken, right? Correct. Yeah. So uh-huh. chicken, chicken, chicken. Uh-huh. You have so, roosters and hens. For some reason, though, I, it just occurred to me. It's like, do we actually eat rooster? Or is is a rooster different than just a male chicken? Is that a is rooster a general term for a male chicken? I don't know enough about I mean, chickens. Where else is, do we get chicken nuggets? Well, I, <laughs> it's got to be from a male uh, okay. chicken, right? <laughs> okay. Never thought about that. But yeah, it's, that's an interesting concept. So uh, No, but I did find out something interesting yesterday. I never thought about it, but it makes total sense. So I was talking to my nephew who works for the post office. Did you know that we just like ship chickens all over the world through the post office? Through the United States Postal Service we do? Yes. Why? I mean... Just to feed the world? No, I mean like actual live chickens. Yeah, I get it. But what are we doing? I mean, is it just like... The chicken trade? I mean, is there is that a thing? I guess. Like, I guess. The I world just, chicken market? I mean, I got, I get, I guess there's got to be reasons why you ship chickens. Huh. Well, I mean... You, I, they also ship bees. Live bees? Yeah, which was neat. <laughs> I didn't know that either. But apparently, so like, you know when they use that gas on bees? No. Um, I mean, you see it. I don't know where you see it. I know I've seen it. I just don't know. I can't tell you where why I've seen it. Why are we gassing bees? Because it like, I guess it like sedates them, kind of. Okay. Um, and then they put them individually into capsules, and then they just put them in an envelope, and they ship them that way, so they stay sedated. Wow. But apparently, you can't. Um, what is it? I, I think it's like a queen bee can be smelled. Now, this is what I was told. I haven't. I don't have any research to back this up, but apparently, a queen bee can be smelled by other bees from a long way away. Uh, so. You have to be very careful with if they have a queen bee, because if it gets out, like if it doesn't stay sedated or whatever you want to consider it, if it gets out, they will probably end up with like a massive swarm of bees around the carrier. Hmm. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I thought dogs were the only threat to our, our postal workers, but now yeah. it seems that... Well, I had no idea that we were shipping stuff like that. I guess it makes sense. I just, you know, it seems like it would be... In a different kind of like I don't know a different kind of service or something like yeah kind of a U a UPS for for bees uh huh right you know yeah a BPS a BPS something like uh-huh. that you know some kind of uh, more of a an animal transport system for chickens like and bees, bees yeah and, but like bees you think they'd have like the whole backside of the the truck would be like set up just for bees yeah. There's still like beehives all around in the back or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't no, know. they're just giving them a date rape drug and throwing them in an envelope and putting and a I stamp guess on I, it. I guess I was always kind of thought, well, I guess I didn't really think about how bees were transported. I, th- I just thought they flew to places. That's That was my understanding. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I don't know if they know their way to where they're supposed to go, but they it's, pretty much do their own travel. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I would assume that we're sending bees to places so that we can perpetuate the lineage of said bees you would think reproduce them mm-hmm. because there is apparently a bee shortage and i'm worried about apples because apparently without bees we'll have no apples have you heard that, uh-uh. is yeah. that a, do you know why because of the pollination process bees pollinate and it without bees apparently you will not have 
apple trees to pollinate. Therefore, if you don't have apple trees, you will not, in fact, have any apples. Okay, so, so besides the fact of you <clears throat> liking apples a lot, okay, is there a reason why it would be detrimental if we didn't have apples? Well, I don't know. I'm not the hugest apple fan. I like to cut up an apple and get that caramel stuff, that, that uh-huh. caramel dip stuff. That's uh-huh. really, really good. Mm-hmm. But I don't do it very often because if I did, I would weigh 350 pounds. Otherwise, though, I think it would just like for apples to go extinct. Can you imagine a world without apples? Even though they're not like, even if you're not really super interested in apples, just mm-hmm. the, the the notion that apples would go away. That's a weird thought for me. And I'm, I'm concerned about that. I mean, I'm not here bad mouthing apples, but I think the only time I really see apples is like in a store, in a bag. Do you remember when Eckert's was on 67 Highway? Eckert's I remember Apple? the name. Really? Where on 67 Highway? Like yeah. up north or south? No, no. It was um, right before you get to Bonterre. Okay. Yeah. You don't remember that? Has it been mm-hmm. that long ago? Maybe. Wow. I just never went. It was I a huge, that's what it is. Like, like the field now where you can see the primary school off mm-hmm. in the distance. Yeah. That whole place was an apple orchard. Wow. It was, and it was vast. And they, they, did away with it for whatever reason. I don't, I don't remember what. But yeah, we used to go there every year to pick apples off nice. the trees. Yeah, I mean, I... So they are there are places where apples actually grow. Yeah. They don't just... I'm just curious if there's an importance behind them, like for survival for certain types of animals or I'm sure anything there, like that. I'm or? sure there is. I'm sure it's part of a greater ecosystem, you know, uh, connection, some kind of symbiotic mm-hmm. connection with other like plants and animals that if we didn't have apple trees, it would be a pretty big deal. Makes sense. You know, so I'm pretty sure that's a part of that, but also just the thought of not having apples. I don't know. It's just weird to me. I would feel the same about bananas. I would. Mm -hmm. I'd feel the same about oranges. Like if all of a sudden oranges went extinct, I'd be a little sad. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I don't know. It's just, it would just be weird. What kind of apple guy are you? Well, Granny Smith, Red Delicious. I mean, the Red Delicious is is your go to. Uh-huh. Like that's, I think that's your most average apple. Like mm-hmm. if you're, you know, an apple eater, that's the one that you probably eat the most. But the um, what do you? Or is it the is it the Gaia or Gala apples? Maybe Gala. G A L A. I think. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Uh-huh. Those are good. Uh-huh. And the uh, Fuji. Yes. Are also really good. They're pretty small though, right? Aren't Fuji apples small? I haven't noticed. Oh, okay. Maybe. Okay. Maybe, but I like the really tart apple See, as I'm well. the opposite of that. I'm not a big, I'm just not big on sour in general. Yeah. Yeah, or or tart, yeah. really. Okay. Yeah. yeah, even like candy, I'm not big on the sour stuff. Yeah. Like sour gummy worms and- Sour patch kids. Sour patch kids and warheads and all that kind of stuff. It's just not- Yeah. How am I? I actually was weird- Back in school, when warheads were a big thing, I don't know if you remember that or not. Do you know what I'm talking about by warheads? Uh huh. Oh yeah. So, back when I was in school, kids would be eating those things like they were going out of style, and then they came out with the suckers that are like this big around, and they would eat those things until their tongues were bleeding. Yeah, that's gross. And I'm like, what? What is going on? But I like the flavor of them. So what I would do is take like five or six of them and put them in a glass of water. Nice. And let the Sour stuff dissolve off of it and then pull them back out and eat them. That's called ingenuity. 
Is it? That's, yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think that when you can take something that tastes good but causes you pain and you mitigate the pain, I think you've done something. Mm-hmm. And you, you maybe should have marketed this flavored water, this warhead water of yours. Well, I didn't drink the water. You didn't? No, I just ate the candy. Oh. I let the sour stuff get off of the candy and then I ate the candy. I would have probably still drank the water too. Uh. But you don't like the the sour already or the... Right, know. yeah. And that was my biggest complaint about those types of candies is the damage it does to the inside of your mouth, especially if you eat a lot of them. Mm-hmm. It may it make your tongue bleed. The roof of your mouth feels like it's just been like scraped with sandpaper and whatnot. Yeah. It, it's it's a bad deal. But Which yet, I, I mean, I get the same thing from like salty because I, I really like salty stuff. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll, I'll demolish a big bag of Doritos or something like that, you know, and then of course by the end your mouth is just like just so dry and doesn't yeah. feel great and it's been scraped by the uh-huh. the ridges and, and the mm-hmm. the sharp edges and whatnot of the chips that you know it, it's tough it's tough but I, I can do that sometimes too some chips are worse than others true red hot ripplets love them eat too many of them you pay the price yeah for sure in your mouth yeah is that the only place no <laughs> that's just where it starts <laughs> but I got to give Red Hot Ripplets a shout out one more time because as I've told on the podcast before, the story about when I did have COVID, right? my only symptoms that I really had were the loss of taste and smell. Mm-hmm. And it it lasted for a good, almost probably, well, around three days. And it was on that third day. I mean, I was getting worried because I really thought when you don't have taste and smell, it really hits home. Like you, unless you know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, I got concerned that this wasn't because I'd heard there's a percentage of people who never got their taste and smell back. And I was eating a lot of stuff because my appetite didn't go away. A lot of people lose weight because they, they can't taste. So they don't eat. Not me. I was still shoving food in my mouth. <laughs> it just all tasted like cardboard. Yeah. But I got on that third day, a bag of red hot ripplets. And I, I kid you not. It was like, I could, feel my taste buds just slowly tingling and I could taste the red hot ripplets. Yeah. And I give mad props to old Vienna for bringing me out of that. Are they a pretty local company? They're St. Louis, right? Are they out of St. Louis? Yeah. Okay. Cause I know they do a lot of stuff with a lot of different uh-huh. people around, yeah. around St. Louis. So yeah. yeah, I was curious. At least St. Louis area, but I, I believe nice. they are St. Louis proper. Cool. I do believe so. Yeah. You know, speaking of that though, uh, the losing the taste and smell thing, I was talking to somebody the other day who actually has a one year old, and uh, the one-year-old got COVID <clears throat> and uh, got sick, but not like deathly sick or anything. And uh, I asked, I asked the person, I said, well, you know, do, do you know if the baby lost taste and smell? And she said, she's not really sure, but uh, if she did, it didn't really affect his eating or anything like that. And that was the first time I really thought about uh, like, I mean, I've thought about like a baby getting COVID, but it was all, you know, your mind just goes towards the worst avenues when it comes to that. Yeah. And that's what I've always thought about. But I never thought about a baby. What if a baby gets COVID, but only gets the minor symptoms of like losing taste and smell? How does that affect, like, is that traumatizing to a baby who's, you know, probably only been eating, you know, real food for not that long and all of a sudden loses taste and smell? Yeah. Like, do they stop eating? Like, I don't know. I don't know how that would affect a baby. I'm mm. I'm curious about that. It's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure because their eating experience. Well, they don't have much experience. Yet right. Exactly. Eating, yeah. Period. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and you know, for the most part, babies 
I mean, if they're especially with if you're drinking breast milk or formula, which I've never tasted, you know, since I can remember either breast milk or formula. But the formula smells terrible. Yeah. There's no way that it tastes good. Yeah. So babies, and I would imagine that breast milk isn't coming out like strawberry flavored either. So the babies aren't eating for the sake of flavor at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, as they get, what, when do we start feeding baby food? Six months? I don't remember. I don't remember. It's been too long. But you start feeding them baby food, and the stuff is mushy, the consistency is off, things like that. Mm-hmm. My point is, I, I don't think it would become such a big deal until, in fact, they were starting to eat real food, as in grown-up food, mm-hmm. you know. They start eating grown-up food, and, and especially if they get a taste of something sweet or, you know, they just maybe it's something salty and it, it tickles their fancy mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I can imagine that would be pretty tough, but they're still so young. I think they probably, in my understanding would be able to deal with it a lot better than what i did because that actually does make sense i started yeah. to panic mm-hmm. you know because i've i've been eating tasty foods for at that point 42 years yeah and all of a sudden i couldn't taste it anymore it's it's like it's not nearly as bad but it's like you know being able to hear all this time and then bam you go deaf or blind right yeah I, i'm thinking about it though like a bodybuilder or somebody who lifts who struggles with eating like you know, healthier foods are more bland, you know, like just the, the dry chicken, you know, the chicken and rice and stuff like that. COVID might be their, their saving grace on that one. We might want to look into that. Yeah. It's like, Hey brother, have uh-huh. you tried licking that handrail over there? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> How about those elevator buttons? Go uh-huh. lick them. See if you can get some COVID. There you go. Yeah. That way you can knock down those taste buds, knock mm-hmm. them back an inch. I mean, well, I guess you'd have to know ahead of time that that's all you're going to get. You take your chances. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a pretty big chance to take, really. Well, I mean, you're trying to reach your goals. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to, you know, the bigger the risk, the greater the reward. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me that not too long ago. I think it was in the tattoo shop. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't remember what we were talking about. Oh. But yeah, we were talking th- about. So it wasn't tattoo related. It Maybe, but not my tattoo related. Okay. It wasn't related to me, like, taking a risk. I'm just trying to Im- formulate something in my head that makes sense to... How it could be tattoo related? I can't remember. I can't remember. We we were talking. There, I mean, there were. It wasn't my tattoo artist that was saying it. It was the other guy. Okay. And we were talking because he was also tattooing a guy like in the chair just across from me. And okay. There was some conversation going on back and forth. At any rate, I wish I could give you more information, but <laughs> the, the the phrase stuck with me though. Okay. The greater the risk, the greater the reward, or the bigger the risk, the greater the reward. You know, it's. Yeah, but in a lot of ways there, that's there, true. Yeah, but there's also a lot. There's a gray area in there, right? How so? Well, I mean, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. But if the risk comes out the opposite way, then you want it to. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's that's the risk. Right, but then there's no reward. That's that's the that's the definition of risk. <laughs> <laughs> if it's just reward, there really is no risk there. But that's what I'm saying. Like that debunks the whole saying, right? No, not at all. Because it's only there's only a greater reward if the risk pans out. So here, here's where we, we have to branch off here. Because if you lower the risk, you're also lowering the reward. There's a direct correlation between the two. Correct. Right? Okay. I believe that's what we call a positive correlation. Like when one moves, the other moves in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the greater the risk, the greater the reward. There's no guarantee that you're going to get the reward. But as you up the risk... You also up the chances of getting that. If you do get rewarded, 
the reward is greater because okay. of the high risk. Okay. Still no guarantee that you're going to get the risk. Right. But if you if you just have the reward without the risk, then that completely takes away the risk, right? So mm-hmm. the risk as defined, it, that's why you're taking a risk is because you might not get the reward. That's why it's a risk in okay. the first place. You know what I'm saying? Do you, Can you off the top of your head name a time in your life where that exact saying has worked for you? That's going to be tough to do right off the like top where, like of where you my knew head. you were taking. I get. I, I don't have one off the top of my head. I the the biggest thing I would go to would be like starting a business or something like that. Yeah. That kind of you know those kind of people they're making big moves. Yeah. With a possibility of coming out with nothing. I'm still looking for for that. I think that really big risk because one of these days I'm going to put one of these projects of mine that I have sitting and take a risk. You know. I, I don't know that I'm going to like maybe go as far as to like put my house up, you know, mm-hmm. as collateral for like a business loan or something. I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do have some things that I want to try. I can tell you though, the risk that I took going into the field that I, that I went into in the mental health field, because when I started, I was still just a bachelor's degree level and I was leaving a pretty stable job in a factory and I'd worked in factories for most of my adult life Mm -hmm. and so but i took a risk with this brand new thing that was still yet pretty much brand new and unheard of in our industry and that that was the the program that we do within the facilities that that we do it in because these facilities weren't weren't originally designed for what we do and i took the risk and and i I took the job and the reward has been pretty great Mm -hmm. pretty great that wasn't like it wasn't like a super risk, like putting your house up as collateral or anything like that. But it was a risk because I was going into the unknown mm-hmm. and I still had to earn my master's degree in the process of, of taking on that, that new adventure. And, uh, was raising two very, very young kids. Bubby was still a baby at that point in time. And so it, the, the risk was there. So I, I guess that would be my example. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, you know, I, I, I was risky in as a younger man in a lot of ways, like being in the wrong places at the wrong time when I, I, I knew better, you know, and I probably should, shouldn't be here right now because I took that risk, but it wasn't necessarily the same kind of risk reward right, yeah, scenario. Say, it, there was, it was just no reward there. It was just, <laughs> yeah, it was just fun, you know, in <laughs> yeah. a lot of ways it was crazy and it wasn't always fun. It started out as fun and then sometimes it devolved into chaos and, oh, crap, I think I'm going to die in this situation right now because I'm surrounded and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of the situation. Yeah. That happened a couple times. Uh, But, but yeah, not the same thing because I wasn't wasn't venturing towards some kind of goal, some kind of great reward other than just adrenaline and, you know, being able to tell a story. Mm. And the the bad part is I don't even tell those stories much anymore because – even thinking about those old times gives me anxiety. It's like, man, how did how did that happen? How did I get that? You know, really? How much? Yeah, it does. I mean, even thinking about some of those things, it's just uh, I don't know. It's anxiety provoking. It's I don't I don't really I'm not proud of it. A lot of that stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it was interesting. Well, I mean, you say you're not proud of it necessarily, but are you one of the people that's like, I wouldn't change anything about my past because it's got me where I am now. No, I'm not one of those. Not one of those. Nope. There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things I would change. I hear people saying it all the time. You're like, yeah, but it made you the person who you are. Yeah, well, I would have been a, a person, me still. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have been the same. No, but I also wouldn't have some of the trauma that I had 
And I probably wouldn't have some of the anxiety that built up because of some of those things that happened. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, now if, if something wouldn't have happened, you know, if something wouldn't have worked out in, in the same way and I wouldn't like ha- had my kids, mm-hmm. obviously I wouldn't trade my kids for nothing for anything I should say, but still, yeah, there, I mean, there are some things that, yeah, you just, you just rather they not happened. Yeah. You would just rather that you didn't, not just for my sake, but I'd, I'd rather I not put my family through some of the things, some of the worry that they had to go through and. Some of the people that were around me, the, the terrible influence that I may have been to them, right? You know, and the situations that were that were life threatening at times. We just we shouldn't have been there, man. We shouldn't have done that. It's just interesting. I mean, I know you said it's like anxiety provoking on a lot of that stuff, but interesting to think of like what the domino effect is on a lot of those things. Like if I would if I wouldn't have been here, you know, where would I have been? Or you know, wh- what like this situation how did this lead to this to lead to this to lead to this that makes goes all the way down to where you are now yeah it's just interesting to think about would you be the same person if one situation didn't happen or you know thinking back is there is there one situation that has happened in life that you know for a fact either you wouldn't be here or in the you wouldn't be where you are now because of that situation or right. vice versa that it is an interesting topic. Like if I were to say change one of those things mm-hmm. that I'm talking about right now, would I be sitting here podcasting with you? Right. Would would we have ever met? Right. You know those kinds of things. That's that's a pretty. I mean, it's such a broad broad rabbit hole to go down though, mm-hmm. because the possibilities are endless. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe because there are a lot of theories out there that say what what happened is the only thing that could happen you know and, and kind of get into the topic of free will a little bit there too mm-hmm. it's like did i really have a choice to you know to do what i did or, or have a choice not to had i decided to do differently mm-hmm. you talk to some people and they say no it's the only thing that could have happened it's the only way that it could have happened i have trouble with that you know I, it goes back to my my theory of the goldilocks zone of free will you know, yes, I, I cannot control like the function of my cells at the cellular level, the the micro level of, of myself. There's a there's a system of things like even on your skin, there's all kinds of these microbes and things like that that live on you that you're just a host to them. I, I've got no control over all that. Right. I also don't have I didn't have control over who I was born to. I didn't get to pick my, my parents, which I, I lucked out and got really good ones. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to choose where I was born, you know, and what culture, race, and so on and so forth. But I have to still believe that I, I make the decisions that I make based off of uh, the will that I have. Yeah, the, to me, the only way that that couldn't be that way is if, like, if your your personal thoughts are controlled by something else. That's the only way because, like, you know, decisions that you decisions that you make or situations that you get into based off of you know your your own thoughts or your own decisions unless your decisions are controlled by something else you know what i'm saying like that doesn't make to me that's hard for me to get past too yeah unless we're like in a in the game the sims to where everything we do is being controlled by something else and we don't we just don't know it mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's that's hard for me to get past too yeah i think the matrix scenario could also play into that cuz if you're just logged into a computer system then you're just a slave to that program, mm-hmm. you know, and what happens is, is just it, it's as real to you as it possibly can be. But there's a there's a program feeding everything 
that's right. around you and that's I guess that's in you too as, as far as your thoughts go. But if you talk if you listen rather to someone like Sam Harris the the uh not not the Sam Harris we had on the show but the Sam Harris <laughs> yeah. the uh, Making Sense podcast uh-huh. Sam Harris. He talks about and he's he's very against free will, but he, I think he goes so deep into it that it almost like it confounds the mind to where it almost doesn't even make sense anymore. But I, I, I get what he's saying to a degree. I'm not nearly the mindfulness practitioner of what he is, not even close. But I, I know enough about it, and, I, and I've delved into it enough to kind of understand what he's saying. So this is, this is his point. When you become mindful and you can really, really just pay attention to your, to your thoughts that arise as they arise, where does that come from is his question. Where does it come from? So in essence, to kind of nutshell this, it's a stream of consciousness. You don't choose what your next thought is. Right. Even if I were to say something and it triggers a thought within you and you you feel like you made that decision to make that mm-hmm. thought right. to, to, to respond, where does that response come from? Like it just appears right. into the brain. And, and when you're practicing mindfulness to that degree, you can actually just kind of notice those things appearing mm-hmm. as, as if they're coming out of nowhere. Like he likes to say, there is no pilot behind the eyes, really. There is no operator back there pulling the levers. It's just your stream of consciousness happening. Mm-hmm. I get that. I do. But I still believe that I, because he says even when you have a thought, and he does a, a great example. I, I don't want to remember it right now because it'll throw me off. But he does a great example of where you just you practice – Okay, I'll, I'll do a little bit of it with you, okay? Because I think it is, it, it's it's apt. Okay, think of your favorite movie from the nineties. Let me let me let me make it more general. Think of two movies of the nine in the nineties genre, and just just whatever. Mm. Okay, you got them. Uh huh. Yeah, where did those come from? Why did you think of those two movies and not the million other movies that happened? It's a good question. I yeah. don't. I don't really know. Right. That, that, it just. That, it just. Yeah. It just appears. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought of Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. Okay. Just bam. Just just like that. Okay. I don't. I don't know why. It just that's where they appeared. Yeah. I kind of know why because my point is, and I think he goes a little deeper and kind of glosses over this point. My point is, is that our our minds are are slaves to our experience. I didn't think of movies that I, I didn't see. True. Right? Yeah. I also, on top of that, I didn't think of movies that I saw but didn't really care for. Right. Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison are two of my favorite movies from mm-hmm. that time period. Mm-hmm. You know, so I could have also thought of Ace Ventura or I could have thought of, you know, a, a lot of different movies that come from that time period. Seven, you know, it just they just keep coming mm-hmm. from that time period, the ones that I like. I think of those before I think of the ones that I really didn't care for, mm-hmm. you know, and then I, I don't tend to think of the ones that I never saw. So that is how we're a slave to our experience. Right. Right. When I touched a hot stove when I was a kid, I touched it because I, I didn't, I, I was still a blank slate as to what that was going to do when I touched the hot stove. Even right. though my mom told me not to do it, I did it anyway because I had to experience it for myself. And mm-hmm. that is the theme of most of my life. I have to make my own mistakes and also, a theme is that I ended up touching the stove again because I wanted to make sure that's really what happened. But now, after after that, and I was I was pretty young. I remember it. I was like probably four or five when it happened. It was traumatic enough. For, it burned enough for me to remember. But after that, I knew because of that experience that I wasn't going to touch a hot stove. So if there was something hot, 
my hand would come back from it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What was it that caused my hand to come back? It wasn't that I had this innate intuition, you know, don't touch hot. Mm-hmm. It was that I experienced it, and then therefore the thought came to my mind, don't touch that. Right. That's that's what I mean by being a slave to experience. And so, when when you were, at least for me, probably more so over like the past five to ten years or so, I notice more uh, more thoughts that happen without me doing anything about it and when i when i it first triggered that 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 was happening i was wondering i was trying to figure out if there was a reason why i was just now real like understanding it or if it was just because i was younger it didn't it wasn't a thing to me it was just like okay yeah something happens you have a response that's just the way it goes but then i guess like when i got older now i think about that a lot more like when something happens, what's my immediate re- my immediate response? And it's like my brain comes up with a response, but I didn't come up with that. Like right. it did it. Exactly. And it's kind of freaky, right? If yeah. you think about it that way, because it's like whatever your immediate response was, you personally didn't take time to try to formulate that response. Right. Like it just automatically came to you. Where the fuck did it come from? Uh, right, <laughs> you exactly. know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just it's creepy. And, and that's to Sam's point. Yeah, is that we are a stream of consciousness mm-hmm. and things just arise. But but also like like you said, you're um, you're a slave to your experience. So like when you do have a response that you didn't really think of, then you actually work through it. Once the once the response is there, then you work through it and try to figure out is that the response that I should have or, you know, look at your surroundings or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Yeah. Then you look at it and, and dissect it and find out, is that re- the response I'm supposed to have or should I go this direction or this direction or something like right. that? Right. And I think that the, that Sam Harris, his logic is useful up to that point. Yeah. He goes a step further though. And he says that, you know, because you can you can make some different options there. You, you can you can think, okay, well, I'm just going to notice that thought and let it go, let mm-hmm. it pass. Because when you do, another thought arises. You don't have to do anything; they just keep coming. Yeah. And you can choose if you're mindful to just notice them mm-hmm. and just just notice them come and, and go. Um, or you can choose to expound on that thought, like you're saying. Let's let's you know, why did I think that, or or what can I do with this thought in order to be productive or make something out of this this thing that just occurred to me, right? Sam's point after that is that you you don't you didn't choose those things either. The fact that you, you know, why did you think to become mindful of it and just watch it and let it go? Or why did you think to, that's just another thing that's arising in your consciousness as well. Right. And the decision that you made is just arising in your consciousness, whichever, that, that's going too deep for me. You know, I think it's where you, you, you lose usefulness of it then. Notice the thoughts that are coming, but then make the decision in that Goldilocks zone of free will to decide what you're going to do with that for it to be the most beneficial. But that can provoke anxiety too, right? Though, because like if there's thoughts that happen, I think everybody, people probably don't, you know, a lot of people don't say some of the thoughts that run through their head, but you know, and I don't know if it's because of experiences or whatever, but you do get thoughts that pop in your head sometimes where you're, where you can, you can choose to let it go, but it's just like, why, why did that, like, why does that thought come into my head? And it's like anxiety. Cause it's like, why is there like something internally messed up with me? Like, why would I, why would that pop into my head? Why? Yeah. Well, the short answer is yes, there is yeah. something internally messed uh-huh. up with you. <laughs> uh, that's the bad news. The good news yeah. is 
almost all of us have that issue. I know. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. that's that's where we start coming into internal dialogue. Yeah. You know, negative internal dialogue is also a product of our experience. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, like let's say for the clients that I work with, for a lot of them, that negative internal dialogue started in childhood because we internalize the the uh, physical dialogue, the the external dialogue rather from other people we externalize that a lot of times and it becomes our internal dialogue so for instance when when someone had a bad parent so a parent who said you're you're stupid you're worthless you're never going to amount to anything in life Mm -hmm. that child will internalize that and that will become part of their what we call Mm self-talk and that's negative self-talk and a lot of the work that i do with with people is trying to restructure their thoughts because in cognitive behavior therapy we learned that that triggers automatic thoughts within a person because they they formulate this core belief their core belief is that that i'm worthless okay so we've talked about this before to some degree on the Mm -hmm. podcast but then when someone uh, let's say another person comes up says hey you want to come you know want to come watch a movie with us the person's like no you know, and, and they're thinking the automatic thought is they, they don't really want to hang out with me anyway because uh, they wouldn't have a good time. Right. You map that back to the core belief, I'm worthless. And that comes from their internal uh, internal core belief, that dialogue they have in their head, mm-hmm. the automatic thought, which goes all the way back to their experience. So once again, that, that core belief, that internal dialogue, self-talk, would not probably have been there had it not been for the, the caregiver who gives them from the external dialogue right. they, in which they internalized, that it wouldn't have happened had the, the caregiver not said that to them and right. not treated them like that. Yeah. And that can come from a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. A lot of my anxiety as, as a youngster come from my interactions with other kids at school. And I had to work pretty hard as I grew up to really undo some of those anxieties and social quirks and the things that I was dealing with because I internalized that stuff. Mm-hmm. We all do. And that's what that's what yeah, that's how we formulate self talk. It could come from experience too. Say, you know, one of us gets up on the uh, on the disc golf course, and there's somebody there we want to impress. We just want to, and we you know, flop it and grip lock it and throw it over to the next hole. Maybe hit somebody in the head. Mm-hmm. Maybe they suffer an injury. We might internalize. Well, man, I suck because that was kind of a hard one to deal with, and mm-hmm. so it you know that internal dialogue is also based off that experience that we just had. Right. So what do you, you said, like with some of your, the people you work with, you have to restructure their thoughts. Give me some examples on what you do to do that. Yeah. Let, let me, if I said I have to restructure, let me rephrase that. I, I Well, that's what I said. I'm not saying that's how you okay. said it. I just want to clarify. We, okay. That's that's the process. That's the work we do together. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, for we, sure. We collaborate. Yeah, yeah. Because the anybody, whoever it is, client in this case, they have to do the actual work. They just need some guidance, they, mm-hmm. and they need the interventions. You know, and that's that's my job is to supply the interventions and to keep it going. Right. You know. But, but anyway, your question was, how did they do that? How do we do that? How do we accomplish that? Like, what what are some of the? Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Basically, if you're trying to help a person restructure their thoughts to to uh, in a more positive way, mm-hmm. yeah. What are some of the steps that you're going to take to help them do that? Yeah. And another thing I do is because we do work on a more positive way, but I try to stress a, a more productive or, or more beneficial or healthy way as well. Okay. Because sometimes healthier doesn't always equal more positive or productive doesn't always equal more positive. So I usually say both because I do, I usually say hopefully more positive, mm-hmm. but I stress the the helpful or the beneficial, productive, something like that. I don't know. Some of the steps, it, it just depends on the, the conversation that you have. 
you know, you, you have to, for one thing, you've got to be willing to cut yourself some slack. And another thing that I really stress is realistic, you know. So let's talk about a, an unhelpful thinking style, a cognitive distortion of generalizing. Okay, so let's let's go back to the disc golf course. So personalize this to me and you just to kind of make the connection. I, I throw a disc and, and I grip lock it and I throw it and I, I throw it over the next hole. It really sucked, a terrible shot. I might say something like, man, I suck. I always mess up. Okay, so the overgeneralization there is that I always mess up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was with a client the other day that said, I, I, I never accomplished anything. So my first step there is for the client, I say, no, you've never accomplished anything. So we start digging into that. Mm-hmm. And then she starts to say, well, I, I, you know, I did finish this. And I said, well, did you, did you graduate high school? No, but I finished my GED. So you accomplished a GED. And so we start putting those pieces together, mm-hmm. see, because that overgeneralization is inaccurate. Right. Okay, so I want more realistic statements because saying that you never accomplished anything isn't realistic. Right. Back to the disc golf course. To say that I always mess up, now I mess up a lot, but we don't have to get into that. But to say that I never have a good shot is basically what I'm saying in essence isn't true. Right. It, that, that's not accurate. Right. So if I were to say, man, I mess up a lot or I'm a lot more than what I used, to, what I would like to, then that's more realistic. Right. Okay. So what we're doing here, this internal dialogue actually guides our lives. It, it dictates our behavior. That's why we've got to be careful about how we talk to ourselves, mm-hmm. about how we treat ourselves. And the hard part is recognizing when we're doing it. That's the hard part. And that's why a lot of people need a counselor, a therapist, mm-hmm. a guide. So that we can work through this because we're our own worst critics and we're not used to saying, you know, for me, James, cut yourself some slack, you know, because you're not always messing up. Mm -hmm. You're not always a bad influence. You're not always, you know, whatever, you know, inject that thing that I'm beating myself up over uh, in that particular instance. I can't overgeneralize. And there's other things, uh, other cognitive distortions that we could talk about, too, like catastrophizing. You know, something happens. Oh, it's the end of the world. A lot of people do this too, mm-hmm. right? Um, going back to the disc golf course, if I make a bad shot and I'm like, well, this just blew my entire game. No, it didn't. You just had a bad shot. Mm-hmm. And so when you can catch those unhelpful thinking styles as they happen, right. you can work on a more realistic, more productive way to assess the situation and, and inject that thought into your head. Right. And it takes a little work. It takes a little practice. Mm-hmm. But the product, the finished product, is that you end up behaving according to the more positive, oftentimes, but definitely the more realistic and hopefully more productive thought that you that you restructured, as opposed to sticking with the unhelpful way of thinking about things. Yeah, and this all kind of you know this goes right along with internal dialogue, how we talk about our how we talk about ourselves to ourselves. Yeah, and I would take it one step further, and it's also about how we talk about others to ourselves in that internal dialogue. And there's a lot of different things that we can we can assess there. Am I putting everyone up, uh, everyone else up on a pedestal when I'm thinking about them to myself in my internal dialogue? So as in what, like been, as in better than you? Is that what you mean? Yeah, putting them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, putting everybody up in, in a higher place, even though I might not be directly um, talking bad about myself to myself. If I'm putting everybody else up on that pedestal as if they're better than me better looking than me. They they throw the disc further than I do or they're a better counselor than me or a better podcaster than me. If I'm always doing that in my own head, 
then that could lead us down a bad road of self, low self-esteem as well because yeah, you, everybody else is up on a pedestal. But it's tricky to find that balance in there, right? Because you don't want you don't necessarily want the opposite side of that either where you're like, I'm a better podcaster than that person. I'm a better disc golfer than that person. Like, Then it just turns into ego, which isn't really a road you want to go down. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So you, you want to find, and that's exactly right, you want to find that middle ground, which is the more realistic mm-hmm. ground. Yeah. Because you're going to find people that are better than you. You're going to find people that are worse than you. Even though, you know, you might have a, there might be another counselor out there who's a lot better at what they do than me. Right. But there are people out there that I'm going to be able to reach that that person won't, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It, there's so much gray area and there's so much more realistic thinking that we can do as long as we're not using another unhelpful thinking style called black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking. Okay. You know, it's either, it's either all me or it's all them. You know, that's, that's not realistic. Right. You know, we both have our strengths, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to being a podcaster. Well, they, they've got so many more listeners than what we do, or we've got so many, so many more than them that either we're better than them or they're better. No, that's not, we all have our strengths that we, that we can, that we can utilize and, right. and accomplish our, our goals to, you know, to meet our ends based on the particular talents and things we've got going for us. Right. Interesting to think about all that, though, and then, like, thinking of the billions of people out there and how everybody thinks differently. (laughs) And then you try to, you know, put all those people together. I mean, even, like, uh, you know, just your job, uh, you know, especially like me, like I do factory work and stuff like that. It's like, you know, hundreds of different personalities and, you know, people going, going in and working 40 hours a week together. You know, you're in there more than your home, you know, so you're just you're dealing with people who, you know, you agree with some things, you don't agree with some things and you push through, you know, all I mean, it's just living. I mean, that's all it is. I'm, that, But that's just one example. Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting to think about like all the people out there and no matter if you're putting people on pedestals or you think you're better than other people or they're doing the same things to you or, you know, and that's where a lot of people might butt heads too is because you have two personalities where one is ego driven and the other isn't. The other is like uh, more thinks that everybody is above them, you know? So it, yeah, it's just, it's interesting to think about. And I think thinking like having that thinking also about having everybody having different, you know, thought processes and stuff like that. I think that's important to think about too, because you probably, you don't know what everybody else's internal dialogue is, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what your internal dialogue is. I, and that's probably a good thing. I really don't want to know what's going on in there. You, you don't. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if you're in a, if you're a room full of people, everybody has a different internal, internal dialogue. So one person might be anxious and, you know, have anxiety about what's going on, doesn't know what's going to happen. Another person is like, I'm extremely confident and I know that everything's going to be fine while we're here and these, you know, these kinds of things. And all those people have to mesh somehow. Yeah. You know, it's just interesting to think about that stuff. And a lot of times people do mesh and then other times we butt heads. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that's what you just have a, a clash of personalities. But in a sense, like kind of like what you were saying, you have a clash of internal dialogues, mm-hmm. you know, because those internal dialogues don't always equal smooth sailing when it becomes external, mm-hmm. when we have to exude from our personalities and, and from the, the choice of words that we use and mm-hmm. everything from tone to body language, you know. It's important, like you said, to to kind of take into perspective that everybody has their own internal dialogue going on. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a saying out there also that says something along the lines of you know be be kind to people because you don't know what kind of internal battles they're fighting. Something that's been very important to me um, 
which not so much anymore, still to, to some degree, but when I really started to break out of my own shell of, you know, when I was, uh, my, my school career was just terrible. My public school career was just terrible because I was so shy and timid, things like that. So one of the things that really helped me was to understand that most people aren't really worried about you so much because they're too busy worrying about themselves. Right. Because what it feels like to me sometimes is that all eyes are on me. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's watching me. And so every little thing I do is under a microscope. Mm-hmm. That's anxiety talking. Yep. That's that's self-consciousness. Right. And I am a self-conscious person still yet today, but I, I manage it a lot better. Yeah. And I practice more realistic thinking about it, such as, well, you know, chances are nobody even really is paying much attention to what I just did. Right. And that's okay because those little mistakes that I make, I don't have to worry about those so much. Mm-hmm. Another thing is, you know, I think about people, they're, they're worried about their own mistakes. You know, they're, they're too busy uh, magnifying the anxieties they have about what's going on. They're not even paying attention once again to me mm-hmm. because they're too too focused on themselves. And that's kind of the human experience. That's, that's you know, the experience that we all have right. to some degree because – we're all trying to deal with it. Not that everybody is necessarily self-conscious, but I think everybody has a, a sense of self that they're more concerned with because that's how we, it's the best way to navigate through life to a degree. Not that we shouldn't be thinking of other people. Now, this is where being a good person, I think, comes in too because, once again, everybody's fighting their own battles. But if when I can let go of my own anxiety about you know, those little mistakes that I make that I feel like are magnified in a room when there's people there and they must think I'm a complete dumbass, <laughs> right? Yeah. I need to be able to let that go so that I can focus on, on what is important. And that's me being a good person to people. Right. One of the things that I, I didn't understand when I was younger is that I, I was quiet. So people thought I was rude. They thought I was a snob. Yeah. Dude, I was anything but a snob. Was, I, I thought everybody was better than me. Yeah. And so, but I, I gave across the, the wrong impression Mm-hmm. And when I did that, I, I missed the opportunity to interact with people. And in my in my life nowadays, I don't want to miss those opportunities. You know, I want to because people, some people need help. They just need a, a high sometimes. Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. They need that because they maybe they they're fighting some battle that they just need somebody to talk to sometimes. Or maybe it's something where I end up making a a, a good contact, a good connection with someone, whether mm-hmm. it's a friendly contact or more of a uh, you know, semi-professional, whatever, you know, based on the, the podcast or whatever, or professional contact, I've got to be able to extend myself to those people. And I can't do that if I'm too busy being self-conscious about every little thing about me. So I've got to find a way to let that go. Yeah. It all starts with internal dialogue, every bit of it. Right. So how do you, how do you transform a negative internal dialogue to a positive internal dialogue? Kind of depends on what the dialogue is. So do you have an example of what a negative dialogue might be? I mean, I guess it's just the first thing that pops in my head is what you already said was like, you know, if, if when something happens and you're automatically like, I, I always do this or this is all this always happens to me or something like that. That's that's the biggest thing yeah. or just thinking that you're not worthy or, you know, something along those lines for I mean, anything in life in general, really, or like. Except I guess accepting things like bad when bad things happen because over time you just feel like that's just your life that's what that's what you're 
that that's how life has gone up to this point. So you you just accept it now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just refuting. But the, the, once again, the hardest part is noticing the the internal dialogue first. If there's something negative, start digging at it. Don't let the negative fester. Don't don't let that be just where you leave it off. We're all going to have negative thoughts, mm-hmm. you know. And this goes about other people too. If you're having judgmental thoughts about other people or or things that are that are that are less than compassionate or less than kind about people in general, start digging into that and start finding the start refuting it. You know, start finding the opposite of whatever it is that that negative is trying to lead us down. Mm-hmm. See if you can't find some positive about people, especially, you know, people in general. Like you can pick out some bad people in history and whatnot that there's, you know, you don't even want to try to do that with really. You, you can for as an exercise, but um, just people in general, man. Someone cuts you off in, in Walmart. I, I mean, I was walking behind some people yesterday at Walmart, dude two ladies and they were not really that old I, they, they may have been somewhere around my age you know i couldn't tell maybe maybe a little older maybe 50 they were so slow and, and they were walking with a limp and there was no way for me to get around them i was pushing a cart i wasn't really in a super big hurry but i wasn't trying to be in walmart either i'm usually not yeah. i can't stand walmart <laughs> i had to go there for something um rock salt i think because i it was the only place anyway I, so I went to Walmart and I got me some rock salt, but I was behind these ladies and I had to take a moment to stop myself because my internal dialogue, because their internal dialogue isn't just about us, you know, it's about the environment around us as well. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, other people. And so I had to stop myself and say, you know what, they're obviously they've, they've got some physical, you know, I don't know if it's a disability or not, but incapable of moving too much faster <laughs> than what they were. Yeah. Right, and so I just I had to stop myself and realize they they got their own thing going, man. If you know, just it's not. Don't let myself get worked up over something like that. Mm-hmm. This this is not going to make or break me. You know, right. we, we do that in traffic all the time too. It's like someone cuts us off, someone doesn't use a blinker. If it doesn't cause an accident, then you know, try to try to refute that negativity that comes into the brain. It does wonders for us in the long run too. Yeah, I think technology is going to make that a little harder too in the future, especially when it's scenarios like that, like people in basically just people not paying attention Yeah, to, I think that's going to cause some issues. Like, cause now it's not only uh, people like scrolling through Facebook while they're walking through Walmart or whatever, but it's like FaceTiming while they're walking through Walmart with people, which is, if you do that, I don't care what, what you have to say or what other people have to say on your phone. Yeah. I don't. It's just like the speakerphone thing. If you're going to walk through a, a building full of people and you're going to have the speakerphone on, nobody cares what your conversation is. Nobody does. No. That drives me insane. No. But do you do you not care enough to just ignore it? Or does it irritate you so badly that it just irritates you and, and you can't refute that irritation? Because that's an internal dialogue in a sense going on right, right there. It does. I mean, it, it depends on how long I have to be around that person. Like if I can just walk on by then I can probably I can pretty much just let it go and be like, well, you know, that's ignorant that they're doing that, but whatever. Exactly. You know, but if I have to, if I'm like stuck in a in line with that person or something for five minutes to where they're just talking to somebody about whatever, then it gets a little bit more under your skin, yeah. I guess. Now once I leave there, I might still have the thought like that was ignorant, but I still kinda 
kind of let it go. But yeah. there's an eternal dialogue battle going on for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and there's going to be, you yeah. know, uh-huh. you, you can train yourself to where it doesn't come up so automatically. But for the most part, man, we just we have to deal with those things. What matters is what you do next. You know, it really is. What matters after that, <laughs> after that first initial thought comes, what do you do with it? Yeah. Going back to the beginning of this, this part of our conversation, you can choose just to watch it and let it go, which I do that sometimes too. I'll notice that, Hey, you know, maybe some, some person is morbidly out of shape, right? Really, in a really bad way. And I notice it, but I don't, I, it just goes. I, I notice the thought and then it leaves. There's no impending judgment. There's no, you know, further uh, dissection of this person's possible lifestyle. I just mm-hmm. notice it and, and move on. You know, right. it, it's just a thought. We, we don't have to dwell on it. And just because I had that thought does not make me a bad person. I, I in no way, shape, or form would, would look to hurt that person. I, you know, if there's anything I could do to help, I would. Right. right? So, but it, the thought was there. It, yeah. is, it is what it is. Right. What I choose to do with that thought is what really what makes a difference. Right. And in that case, I think letting it go is just fine because it just happens. Which letting it go is more important most of the time anyways, I think, you know, versus like actually saying a thought that you had. You know, like I said, most people have thoughts. They just don't, they're not going to say those thoughts, which is weird in a way because it's like everybody has these thoughts, right? So even though it's something that always that everybody always has, it's still something we don't talk about just because it can be a negative thing. True. You know? Yeah. It, but I, I take the point even further a little bit because I don't think it's good to dwell on, like say I would have been just casting aspersions and judgment on that person um, based off the fact that they were so morbidly out of shape. Mm-hmm. That internal dialogue of mine, I feel like it influences my overall behavior my overall personality okay even though i don't say it i I think that it it influences me in in a negative way if i let it fester in my head okay because i think even though it didn't surface it didn't materialize right then and there that I, i didn't say something externally i think that it still causes me to be less than compassionate and and that will that will surface at some point in my life somewhere some way that, that's that's my personal experience i believe that's the way the human mind works so it's so it's important to learn how to know when a thought is negative and the faster that you can just let that go the better off you're going to be let it go or mitigate it another way i'll give you another example also at walmart i was going to the self checkout because now obviously we're all employed there cuz we do our own checking <laughs> anyway um, I, it, I'm so used to it now that when I, cause it's just about everywhere. Now you self check out. Anyway, I was going in to check out and I noticed that of course there's the worker there that kind of does a lot of things. If you're buying alcohol, they, you know, card your, or just put their badge up there and, and roll you through They're making sure you're not stealing, which is annoying a lot of times because they're at Hawkeye and you have the time. Mm-hmm. And they also refill the bags. You know, the bags, you got the little handles there, and they put the bags on there, and you take the bag, and you bag your stuff up. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. I wanted to explain it anyway. I'm not really sure why, but okay. At any rate, what happened was I was going to a particular register, and there was like two bags. And this internal dialogue started going, and I was just started railing on this person in my head. It's like, well, you you've got you know not very many jobs to do, and this these bags are almost empty. What are you doing you with had your one life? One job, yeah, right. That's it. <laughs> so I was really just like started railing. I was like, calm down, you know, it's, who cares for one thing? This isn't going to make a difference. 
10 minutes from now in your life. And so why let that happen to you in your head? Why stir up any kind of negative emotion, negative thoughts? Don't, don't let it, don't let it fester. That was my first thought was self-preservation for me. Like, cool your jets, man. Cool your tits. There's, mm-hmm. there's no need in getting upset about this. Secondly, I ended up looking at the person. The person, I think, may have had some intellectual disability. Okay. On top of, I didn't notice up to that point, but I noticed that. So my compassion meter went up even further. You know, and then also I got to thinking whether they have intellectual disability or not, they're they're just doing their job. They're doing the best they can, I'm sure. It's not like some teenager who's just looking at her phone and not paying attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's a lady and she she was doing stuff and so I cut her some slack. Anyway, that internal dialogue, that that was the progression of how that went. It started off with me in my head. Like railing on someone, mm-hmm. casting judgments that they they were lazy or they're terrible at their job or whatever, going to you know be more compassionate. And then it was like you know what this, and then she ended up coming over and giving me bags. While she's like, "Do you need nice. some bags, sir?" <laughs> and I thought, you know, if I wouldn't have redirected my thoughts before that, her behavior probably would have made me feel like a real asshole, right? Because she came up and ended up giving me some bags, offering me some bags. Well, that's where Karens come from, right? It's like when the internal when. You you went through all of that within a period of like a couple of minutes, but they don't, right? They just, they come in and it's that explosive, impulsive, impulsive yeah. thoughts, and then they don't know how to let that go before they react. Yeah. And then it's like, let me talk to your supervisor and this, that, and the other. And then at the end of the day, they are the ones that look like the asshole. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but I think that's where it comes from, right? Uh. The inter- They don't know how to direct the internal dialogue into a positive direction it's all negative or they don't care to but yeah yeah you're, ab- you're absolutely right yeah. that's exactly right mm-hmm. uh, i would hate to be in the mind of a of a karen hearing that internal dialogue mm-hmm. and there's probably not much room between the internal and the external because like you said they're explosive and impulsive yeah and they just let it go uh-huh. one last topic on the on the note of internal dialogue and how we use it we've talked about within ourselves talking about ourselves to ourselves We've talked about talking about other people to ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's also talking about the environment at large in our in our heads, the internal dialogue we have about the the environment, whatever it is, whether it's a maybe a hill we have to climb, you know, and how we choose to talk about that hill in our heads, how we choose it's it's perspective, right? Or having a job to do, you know, I've got either you can say I have to do all of this work before the end of the day, or you can tell yourself, I have the opportunity to do all this work before the end of the day. And that, that little shift in, in the wording within your internal dialogue dictates your attitude toward getting that job done. Mm-hmm. And, and you can choose how to, you know, how to approach it, whether it with positivity or negativity, you know, with a positive attitude or negative attitude. It's all about the internal dialogue that you have. I think I do both at the same time on some things like say I got say the yard needs mowed, but I know that I have things going on later that day, but the yard needs to be mowed before I do those things. But I'm excited about the things that I'm going to do later in the afternoon. You know, we're going to go out to the bar or something like that, right? We're going to play disc golf or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, but in the morning I'm telling myself, well, I have to go out and mow the yard, but it's like, but then I get to, do things because I mowed the yard, right? right? So it's like I fight both battles. It's like I tell myself, well, you've got to get this done. But then it's like, 
but it's better to get it done now yeah. to be able to do what you want to do later. You get a reward. And then instead of going and doing what you want to do and then coming back home knowing, well, now I've still got to go out and mow the yard. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was funny that I, I play both roles somehow. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of, sometimes you've got to dig deep. Yeah. When it comes to things like mowing the yard. Well, I have to mow the yard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to really just... In, in a flat way, say I get I have the opportunity to mow the yard. Mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to cut grass. That's so fantastic. Which technically I could say that because I mean I do live somewhere where I really want to live, there and you it's go. like I you know you I walk outside and I love looking at what I have and those kinds of things. Yeah, I don't look like looking at tall grass, so I could be like, you know, well I get the opp- I get to have this. I have the opportunity of having a yard to mow. Yes, this is great. But then I get on lawnmower and I'm like, this blows. <laughs> <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth, though. I mean, not, not that this blows part because it, you know, I actually kind of enjoy cutting grass. It's just hard to find the time. But the the idea that you took out of my out of my brain before I could say it was that I, I have a house. I, you know, I have a nice place to live and I have a nice yard and I like I have the opportunity to to make it look nice mm-hmm. and, and to to own this house and I have an opportunity that a lot of people don't have and so right. It, cutting grass comes with that. So sometimes it's not just flat way of saying, yeah, I have the opportunity to cut grass. No, you got to maybe, you know, add to the perspective a bit, make it a little bit broader, give a little bit of a bigger picture scenario. But at the end of the day, if you can make it a more positive experience, it benefits you. And I, once again, the little, the little ways that we benefit or the, the, the little ways that we steer ourselves, redirect ourselves, restructure our thoughts to more realistic, positive. I think you have a net gain across the board. I think it's a tide that raises the ships as you go, not just for that one instance. I think mm-hmm. you build on that. It becomes your character, and it materializes, it surfaces in ways that weren't directly related to the thing, you know, because a lot of times, like you said, our internal dialogue does never externalize, but it does in different ways. Mm-hmm. It resurfaces in different ways. And it and, may not be like through your talking, but like how you act yeah. Or yeah. So yeah. like, so your internal dialogue can surface physically, not verbally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. By your actions, your body language, just everything. Yeah. I think that we're constantly influencing ourselves to the dialogue that we allow into our brains. Once again, one more time, a lot of that dialogue is automatic, but we have the power. We have that Goldilocks zone. I think that's why it's so important that that, that part of free will is, it's just important to me because we have the choice what to do with that thought. We can let it go. We can redirect it. We can restructure it. Or, you know, for negative thoughts, we can let it go and let it fester. And that's that's not a good thing. Right. Try not to do that. True. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Absolutely. Peace. See ya. Thanks again to you, the CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth feels like a round of cognitive restructuring for us. So don't forget to tell your friends and fam about the great variety that you hear right here on the CEP. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume the podcast that you hold near and dear to your heart. And be sure to visit the new and improved launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Be sure to pick up all of your official CEP network merch at buyjack.com slash CEP. And that's all I've got, folks. So until next time, be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours nice and toasty out there. See ya.